Chapter Five of Through Russian Snows by G. A. Henty. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gary Ullman. Following a trail, Frank had started early for a walk with one of his school friends. Returning through the town at three in the afternoon, he saw people talking in groups. They presently met one of their chums. What is going on, Vincent? Why, have you not heard? Faulkner, the magistrate, has been shot. Shot, the two boys explained. Do you mean on purpose or accidentally? On purpose. The servants heard a gun fired close by, and a minute later his horse galloped up to the door. Two men ran along the drive, and, not a hundred yards from the house, found him lying shot through the body. Three of the doctors went off at once, Thompson came back ten minutes ago for some instruments, I believe. He stopped his gig for a moment to speak to the rector, and I hear he told him that it might be as well for him to go up at once, as there was little probability of Faulkner living through the night. Well, I can't say that I am surprised, Frank said. He has made himself so disliked. There are so many men who have a grudge against him, and he has been threatened so often that I have heard fellows say dozens of times he would be shot some day. And yet I suppose no one ever really thought that it would come true. Anyhow, it is a very bad affair. Leaving the other two talking together, Frank went on home. Mrs. Troutbach was greatly shocked at the news. Dear, dear, she said, what dreadful doings one does hear of. Who would have thought that a gentleman, and a magistrate too, could have been shot in broad daylight within a mile or two of us? I did not know him myself, but I always heard that he was very much disliked, and it is awful to think that he has been taken away like this. Well, Aunt, I don't pretend to be either surprised or shocked. If a man spends his life in going out of his way to hunt others down, he must not be surprised if at last one of them turns on him. On the bench he was hated. It was not only because he was severe, but because of his bullying way. See how he behaved in that affair with Julian? I can't say I feel any pity for him at all. He has sent many a man to the gallows, and now his time has come. At five o'clock it was already dusk. The shutters had been closed and the lamp lighted. Presently the servant entered. There is someone who wants to speak to you, Master Frank. Frank went out into the hall. The head of the constabulary and two of his men were standing there, much surprised. Frank asked the officer into the other sitting room. What is it, Mr. Henderson, he said. It is a very sad business, a very sad business, Mr. Wyatt. Your brother is not at home. I hear? No, Julian went over this morning to have a day's rabbit shooting with Dick Merriweather. I expect it won't be long before he is back. There is nothing the matter with him, he asked with a vague feeling of alarm at the gravity of the officer's face. It is a very painful matter, Mr. Wyatt, but it is useless trying to hide the truth from you, for you must know it shortly. I hold a warrant for your brother's arrest on the charge of attempted willful murder. Frank's eyes dilated with surprise and horror. You don't mean, he gasped, and then his faith in his brother came to his aid, and he broke off indignantly. 
It is monstrous, perfectly monstrous, Mr. Henderson. I suppose it is Faulkner, and it is because of that wretched smuggling business that suspicions fall on him, as if there were not a hundred others who owe the man a much deeper grudge than my brother did. Indeed, he has no animosity against him at all, for Julian got the best of it altogether, and Faulkner has been hissed and hooted every time he's been in town since. If there was any feeling left over the matter, it would be on his part and not on Julian's. Who signed the warrant? Faulkner himself? No, it is signed by the Colonel and Mr. Harrington. They took the dying disposition of Mr. Faulkner. There is no harm in my telling you that, because it must be generally known when your brother is brought up. But till then, please do not let it go further. He has sworn that he overtook Mr. Wyatt two or three hundred yards before he got to his own gate. There was an altercation between them, and he swears that your brother used threats. He had a double-barrel gun in his hand, and as Faulkner was riding up to the drive to the house, he was fired at from the trees on his left and fell from his horse. Almost directly afterward, Mr. Wyatt ran out from the spot where the gun had been fired, thinking he would finish him if he thought he was still alive. Mr. Faulkner closed his eyes and held his breath. Your brother came up and stood over him, and having satisfied himself that he was dead, ran off through the trees again. I believe it is a lie from beginning to end, Frank said passionately. Julian has brought him into disgrace here, and the fellow invented this charge out of revenge. If it had been in the road, and Faulkner had struck Julian as he did before, and Julian had had his loaded gun in his hand, I don't say that in his passion he might have shot him. Still, I don't believe he would, even then. Julian is one of the best-tempered fellows in the world. Still, I would admit that, in the heat of the moment, he might raise his gun and fire. But to say that he loaded his gun after Faulkner had gone on, for I'm sure it was empty as he came along, as I have never known him to bring home his gun loaded, and that he then went and hid behind a tree and shot a man down, why, I would not believe it if fifty honest men swore to it, much left on the oath of a fellow like Faulkner. I can't say anything about that, Mr. Wyatt. I have only my duty to do. Yes, I understand that, Mr. Henderson. Of course, he must be arrested, but I am sure no one will believe the accusation for a minute. Oh, he exclaimed as a fresh idea struck him. What was Faulkner shot with? It is a bullet wound. Well, that is quite enough, Frank exclaimed triumphantly. Julian had his double-barrel gun with him and had been rabbit shooting, and if it had been he who had fired, it would have been with a charge of shot. You don't suppose he went about with a bullet in his pocket to use in case he happened to meet Faulkner and have another row with him? Julian never fired a bullet in his life as far as I know. There is not such a thing as a bullet mold in the house. The officer's look of gravity relaxed. That is important, certainly, he said, very important. I own that after hearing the deposition read, it did seem to me that, as the result of this unfortunate quarrel, your brother might have been so goaded by something Mr. Faulkner said or did that he had hastily loaded his gun and in his passion run across the woods and shot him down. But now it is clear from what you say that it is most improbable he would have a bullet about him, and unless it can be proved that he obtained one from a gunmaker or otherwise, it is a very strong 
point in his favor. I suppose your brother has not returned this afternoon. No, I asked the servant when I got home at three whether he had returned, though I did not expect him back so soon, and she said he had not come in, and I am sure he has not done so since. Then I will not intrude any longer. I shall place one of my men in front of the house and one behind, and if he comes home, his arrest will be managed quietly, and we will not bring him in here at all. It will save a painful scene. When the officer had left, Frank returned to his aunt. What is it, Frank? she asked. Well, aunt, it is a more absurd affair than the other, but absurd as it is, it is very painful. There is a warrant out for the arrest of Julian on the charge of attempting to murder Mr. Faulkner. Mr. Troutbeck gave a cry and then burst into a fit of hysterical laughter. After vainly trying to pacify her, Frank went out for the servant, but as her wild screams of laughter continued, he put on his hat and ran for the family doctor, who lived but a few doors away. He briefly related the circumstances of the case to him, and then brought him back to the house. It was a long time before the violence of the paroxysm passed, leaving Mrs. Troutbeck so weak that she had to be carried by Frank and the doctor up to her room. Don't worry yourself, Aunt Frank said, as they laid her down upon the bed. It will all come out right, just as the last did. It will all be cleared up, no doubt, in a very short time. As soon as the maid had undressed Mrs. Troutbeck and had got her into bed, the doctor went up and gave her an opiate, and then went down into the parlor to Frank, who told him the story in full, warning him that he must say nothing about the deposition of Mr. Faulkner until it had been read in court. It is a very grave affair, Frank, the old doctor said. Having known your brother from his childhood, I am as convinced as you are that, however much of this deposition be true or false, Julian never fired the shot and what you say about the bullet makes it still more conclusive, if that were needed, which it certainly is not with me. Your brother had an exceedingly sweet and even temper. Your father has often spoken to me of it, almost with regret, saying that it would be much better if he had a little more will of his own and a little spice more temper. Still, it is most unfortunate that he hasn't returned. Of course, he may have met some friend in town and gone home with him, or he may have stayed at Mr. Merriweather's. I don't think he can have stopped in the town anyhow, Frank said, for the first thing he would have heard when he got back would have been of the shooting of Faulkner, and he would have been sure to have come home to talk it over with me. Of course, he may have stopped with the Merriweather's, but I'm afraid he has not. I fancy that part of Faulkner's story must be true. He could never have accused Julian if he had met him near his gate, for Julian, in that case, could have easily proved where he was at the time. No, I think they did meet and very likely had a row. You know what Faulkner is, and I can understand that if he had met Julian, he would most likely say something to him, and there might then be a quarrel but I think that his story about Julian coming out and looking at him is either pure fancy or a lie. No doubt he was thinking of him as he rode along, and badly wounded as he was, perhaps altogether insensible, he may have imagined the rest. This is all quite possible, the doctor agreed, but in that case Julian's not coming home is all the more extraordinary. If he met Faulkner between two and three o'clock, what can he have been doing since?' 
This was a question Frank could not answer. I can't tell, sir, he said after a long pause. I really can't. Still, nothing in the world would make me believe that Julian did what he is charged with. Several times Frank went outside the door, but the constable was still there. At last, after sitting and looking at the fire for some time, he put on his cap and went to the residence of the chief constable. Excuse me, Mr. Henderson, but I have been thinking it over ever since you left. Whoever did this murder did not probably return to the road, but struck off somewhere along the fields. There was snow enough in the middle of the day to cover the ground. It stopped falling at two o'clock and has not snowed since. May I suggest that in the morning a search should be made round the edge of the wood? If there are footprints found, it might be of great importance. You are quite right, Mr. Wyatt, and I have already determined to go myself with a couple of constables at daylight. May I go with you, sir, if you please, but you must remember that the evidence of footprints which we may find may be unfavorable to your brother. I have not the slightest fear of that, Frank said confidently. Very well, then, Mr. Wyatt, the two constables will be here at half past seven, and I shall be ready to start with them at once. Should you by any chance be late, you will, no doubt, be able to overtake us before we get there. The next morning, Frank was at the office half an hour before the appointed time. Fortunately, no snow had fallen in the night. The chief constable looked grave and anxious when the search began. Frank was excited rather than anxious. He had no fear whatever as to the result of the investigation. It would disclose nothing. He felt certain to Julian's disadvantage. The continued absence of the latter was unaccountable to him, but he felt absolutely certain that it would be explained satisfactorily on his return. The moment they got across the hedge into the field skirting the wood, the chief constable exclaimed, Stay, men, here are footprints by the edge of the trees. Do not come out until I have carefully examined them. Do you not think, he went on, turning to Frank, that it would be much better that you should not go further with me, for you see I might have to call you as a witness. Not at all, Mr. Henderson. Whatever we find, I shall have no objection to being a witness, for I am certain we shall find nothing that will tend to incriminate my brother. I see what you are thinking of, that these footprints were Julian's. That is my own idea, too. At any rate, they are the marks of a well-made boot of large size without heavy nails. The constable nodded. There are two sets, he said, one going each way, and by the distance they are apart, and the fact that the heel is not as deeply marked as the rest of the print. Whoever made them was running. Certainly, Frank agreed. He ran up to the hedge and then turned. Why should he have done that? Probably because he saw some vehicle or some persons walking along the road and did not wish to be seen. Possibly so, Mr. Henderson. But in that case, why did he not keep among the trees both coming and going, instead of exposing himself, as he must have done running here, for the hedge is thin, and anyone walking along, much less driving, could have seen him. Mr. Henderson looked at Frank with a closer scrutiny than he had before given him. You are an acute observer, Mr. Wyatt. The point is an important one. A man wishing to avoid observation would certainly have kept among the trees. Now let us follow these footprints along. We may learn something further. Presently they came to the point where Julian had come out from the wood. 
You see, he was in the wood, Mr. Wyatt, the constable said. I quite see that, Frank said. If these are the marks of Julian's boot, and I think they are, we have now found out that he came out of the wood at this point, ran for some purpose or other, and without an attempt at concealment as far as the hedge, then turned and ran back again, past the point where he had left the wood. Now let us see what he did afterwards. It may give us a clue to the whole matter. Fifty yards further, they came on the spot where Julian had turned off on the poacher's track. There it is, Mr. Henderson, Frank exclaimed triumphantly. Another man came out of the wood here, a man with roughly made boots with hobnails. That man came out first. That is quite evidence. The tracks are all in a line, and Julian's are in many places on the top of the others. They were both running fast. But if you look, you will see that Julian's strides are longest, and therefore he was probably running the fastest. It is, as you say, Mr. Wyatt, the lighter footprints obliterate those of the heavier boots in several places. What can be the meaning of this, and what can the second man have been doing in the wood? The whole thing is perfectly plain to me, Frank said excitedly. Julian was in the road. He heard the report of the gun close by in the wood, perhaps heard a cry. He jumped over the hedge and made for the spot, and possibly, as Mr. Faulkner said, ran into the drive, stooped over him, then he started in pursuit of the murderer, of whom he may possibly have obtained a sight. There was not enough snow under the trees for him to follow the footprints. He therefore ran to the edge of the wood and then to the road in search of the man's track. Then he turned and ran back again till he came upon them leaving the wood and then set off in pursuit. By Jove, Mr. Wyatt, the officer said, I do think that your explanation is the right one. Give me your hand, lad. I had no more doubt five minutes ago that your brother had, in a fit of passion, shot Mr. Faulkner than I have that I am standing here now. But I declare, I think now he acted as you say. How you have struck upon it beats me altogether. I have been thinking of nothing else all night, Mr. Henderson. I put myself in Julian's position, and it seemed to me that, hearing a gun fired so close at hand, even if he did not hear a cry, Julian, knowing how often the man had been threatened, might at once have run to the spot and might have behaved just as Faulkner says he did. All that seemed to me simple enough. Julian's absence was the only difficulty, and the only way I could possibly account for it was that he had followed the murderer. It is very imprudent, Mr. Henderson said gravely. Very, but it was just the sort of thing Julian would have done. But however far he went, he ought to be back before this. That is what I am anxious about, Mr. Henderson. Of course he ought to be back. I am terribly afraid that something has happened to him. This man, whoever he was, must have been a desperate character, and having taken one life from revenge, he would not hesitate to take another to secure his own safety. He had a great advantage over Julian, for, as we know, his gun carried bullets, while Julian had nothing but small shot. Which way shall we go next, Mr. Henderson? Shall we follow the track or go into the wood? We will go into the wood. That will take us a comparatively short time, and there is no saying how far the other may lead us. But before we do so, I will call upon my two men, take them over the ground, show them the discoveries we have made. It is as well to have as many witnesses as possible. 
The two constables were called up and taken along the line of track, and the chief constable pointed out to them that the man with well-made boots was evidently running after the other. Then they entered the wood. Carefully searching, they found here and there prints of both the boots. They went out into the drive, and, starting from the spot where Mr. Faulkner had been found, made for a large tree some thirty yards to the left. Just as I thought, Mr. Henderson said, someone has been standing here, and I should think for some time. You can see that the ground is kicked up a bit, and though it was too hard to show the marks of the boots plainly, there are many scratches and grooves, such as would be made by hobnails. Now, lads, search about closely. If we can find the wad, it will be a material point. After five minutes' search, one of the men picked up a piece of half-burned paper. Frank uttered an exclamation of satisfaction as he held it up. Julian always used wads. This never came from his gun. Now, let us go back to the tree, Mr. Henderson, and see which way the man went after firing the shot. After careful search, they found the heavy footprints at several spots where the snow lay, and near them also found traces of the lighter boot. The trees then grew thicker, but following the line indicated by the footprints, they came to the spot where he had left the wood. You see, Mr. Henderson, Frank said, Julian lost the footprints just where we did, and bore a little more to the left, striking the edge of the wood, between where the man had left it and the road. Now, sir, we have only to find the spot where Julian first left the road and try to trace his footsteps from there to the spot where Mr. Faulkner was lying. We know that the shot was fired from behind that tree, and if my brother's footsteps missed this spot altogether, I think the case would be absolutely proved. They went back into the road and found where Julian had crossed the untrodden snow between it and the hedge, and had pushed his way through the latter. It was only here and there that footprints could be found, but fortunately some ten yards to the right of the tree there was an open space, and across this he had evidently run. You have proved your case, Mr. Wyatt, the chief constable said, shaking Frank cordially by the hand. I am indeed glad. Whoever the man was who shot Mr. Faulkner, it was certainly not your brother. Now let us start at once on the tracks. Frank's face became more serious than it had been during the previous search, as soon as they took up the double track across the fields. Before he had felt absolutely confident that whatever they might find, it could only tend to clear Julian from this terrible accusation. Now, upon the contrary, he feared that any discovery they might make would confirm his suspicions that evil had befallen him. Scarcely a word was spoken as they passed along the fields. The man with the hobnobbed boots is taking to the hills, the chief constable remarked. I'm afraid so, Mr. Henderson. As they are bare of snow, there will be no chance of our following. When they came to the point where the snow ended, they stopped. There is an end of our search, Mr. Wyatt. We must return to the town. The magistrates will meet at eleven o'clock, and I and the constables must be there. But I will send off two men directly we get back to go along the cliffs and question all men who were on duty yesterday afternoon as to whether they saw two men 
with guns crossing the hills, one being probably some distance behind the other. I think perhaps you had better come to the court. I don't say that it will be absolutely necessary, but I think it would be better that you should do so, and you see it would be useless for you to be hunting over these hills alone. As soon as the court is over, I will take four men and will myself to start a search for him. There is no saying whether we may not find some sign or other. I shall be glad if you will go with me. You have shown yourself a born detective this morning, for had you not been trained to it all your life, you could not have followed the scent up more unerring. I will certainly go with you, Mr. Henderson, and I will be at the courthouse. I would start at once for the hills, but I had nothing to eat this morning, and what is much more important, I want to ease my aunt's mind. Of course, she was as certain as I was that Julian had nothing whatever to do with this. But naturally, it would be an immense relief to her to know that the suspicion of so dreadful a crime no longer rests on him. When Frank returned home, he found that Mrs. Troutbeck was so prostrated with the shock that she was still in bed, where the doctor had ordered her to remain. As soon, however, as she heard that Frank was back, she sent down for him to come up. Her delight was extreme when he told her of the discoveries he had made and that the constables had no doubt the warrant for Julian's arrest would be withdrawn. She became anxious again when she found that Frank could give no satisfactory explanation of his absence. I would not trouble about it, aunt, he said soothingly. No doubt we shall hear of him before long. Let us be content that he has come well out of this terrible accusation, just as he did from the former charge, and let us hope that the explanation of his absence will be just as satisfactory when we hear it. Even if I thought that Julian had got into any trouble, it would be infinitely easier to bear than a knowledge that he was suspected of murder. For it would have been murder, aunt. I heard just now that Faulkner died last night. The meeting of magistrates was an informal one, as they agreed. Directly, they heard that Julian was not in custody, that they could proceed no further in the matter. Mr. Henderson, after answering their first question, followed them into their private room. So, you did not lay hands on him last night, Colonel Chambers said. We shall have to alter the warrant, for I find that Mr. Faulkner is dead. I think, gentlemen, the chief constable said quietly, that after you have heard what I have to tell, you will have to withdraw the warrant altogether. Eh? What? Do you mean to say, Henderson, that you think the young fellow did not fire the shot after all? I would give a hundred pounds if I could think so. But with Faulkner's disposition before us, I don't see how there can be any possible doubt in the matter. Besides, I was present when he gave it, and though it may have been colored a good deal by his feelings against young Wyatt, I am convinced that he believed at any rate that he was speaking the truth. I have no doubt he did, sir, and I had no more doubt than you have as to Mr. Wyatt's guilt. Indeed, until his brother pointed out one very important fact, nothing would have persuaded me that he did not fire the shot. I don't say that it was at all conclusive, but it sufficed to show that the matter was by no means so certain as it seemed to be. I found him at the house when I went there to arrest his brother. Of course, the young fellow was greatly shocked, 
when I told him the nature of the charge, and declared it to be absolutely impossible. So certain was he that even when I told him the nature of Mr. Faulkner's depositions, he was more puzzled than alarmed. The first question he asked was whether Mr. Faulkner had been killed by a shot or by a ball. When I said by a ball, his face cleared up altogether. His brother, he said, as we know, had been rabbit shooting at Mr. Merriweather's. He would have had small shot with him, but young Wyatt said that he did not think his brother had ever fired a bullet in his life. He knew there was not such a thing as a bullet in the house. Mr. Wyatt could not possibly have known that he was likely to meet Mr. Faulkner on his way back from shooting, and therefore, unless upon the rather improbable theory that he went about with the intention of shooting Mr. Faulkner whenever he met him, and that he had brought a bullet in the town and carried it always about with him for the purpose, it was clear that he could not have fired the shot. There is something in that, Mr. Henderson, a good deal in it. I am ready to admit, but nothing that would really counteract the effect of Faulkner's direct testimony, given when he knew that he was dying. No, sir. Still, it is a point that I own I had entirely overlooked. However, that is not now so important. I will now tell you what has taken place this morning. And he then related the story of the discovery of the tracks, that proved that Julian had not gone near the tree behind which the murderer had for some time been standing, and how, after running in and finding Mr. Faulkner's body, he had set out in pursuit of the scoundrel. I have two constables outside who are with me, Colonel, and if you like to question them, they will, I am sure, confirm my statements in all respects. I am glad, indeed, to hear your story, Mr. Henderson, Colonel Chambers said warmly, the lad's father was an old friend of mine, and it was terrible to think that his son could have committed such a dastardly crime. What you say seems to me quite conclusive of his innocence, and at the same time is not in any way in contradiction with the deposition. I give you the very great credit for the manner in which you have unraveled this mystery. The credit, sir, is entirely due to Mr. Wyatt's brother. He had formed the theory that, as in his opinion, his brother was certainly innocent of the crime, the only possible way in which he could account for his absence from home that night was that upon hearing the gun fired so close at hand, Mr. Wyatt had at once run to the spot, found the body of Mr. Faulkner, and had then immediately started in pursuit of the murderer, setting out with me on the search with this theory strongly fixed in his mind, Young Wyatt seized at once every point that confirmed it, and pointed out to me that the man with heavy boots had crossed the fields at a run, and that the other had followed as soon as he came upon the footprints, after searching for them up and down by the edge of the wood. Once we had got this clue to follow up, the matter was then plain enough. The search through the wood showed us the whole circumstance of the case as I have related them to you, just as plainly as if we had witnessed the affair. But if I had not been set upon the right trail, I say honestly that I doubt whether I should have unraveled it, especially as the snow is rapidly going, and by this afternoon the footprints will have disappeared. 
Well, as a matter of form, we will take down your statement, Mr. Henderson, and thank those of the constables. Young Mr. Wyatt is outside, if you would like to hear him, sir. Certainly we will, the colonel said. He must be wonderfully shrewd young fellow, and I think we ought to take his statement, if only to record the part he played in proving his brother's innocence. But where is the brother, Mr. Henderson? Hasn't he come back yet? No, sir, and I own that I regard his absence as alarming. You see, the murderer, whoever he is, was armed with a rifle, or at any rate with a gun that carried bullets, while Mr. Riot had only a shotgun. Such a fellow would certainly not suffer himself to be arrested without a struggle, and when he found that he was being followed across the hills, would be likely enough to shoot down his pursuers without letting him get close enough to use his fowling piece. I have sent two constables up to inquire of the Coast Guard men along the cliffs whether they observed any man with a gun crossing the hills yesterday afternoon and whether they heard a gun fired. As soon as you have before you the statements of the constables who were with me this morning, I intend to take them and two others and start myself for a search over the hills, and I am very much afraid we shall come upon Mr. Wyatt's body. I sincerely hope not, Colonel Chambers said, but I own that I can see no other way for accounting for his absence. Well, if you will call the clerk in, he will take down your statements at once. What do you think, Harrington? It seems to me that when we have got the four statements, we shall be fully justified in withdrawing the warrant against young Wyatt. I quite think so, Colonel. You see, the facts will all come out at the coroner's inquest, and when they do so, I think there will be a good deal of strong feeling in the place if it is found that young Wyatt had been killed while bravely trying to capture Faulkner's murderer, while at the same time our warrant for his apprehension for the murder was still in force. Yes, there is a good deal in that, Harrington. If Faulkner had not died, I think that it would have been best merely to hold the warrant over in order that when Wyatt comes back, if he ever does come back, all those facts might be proved publicly. Now that will all be done before the coroner. The statements of Mr. Henderson and the two constables were taken down. Frank was then called in. I congratulate you most heartily upon the innocence of your brother having been. To our minds, so conclusively proved, and, as Mr. Henderson tells us, chiefly owing to your shrewdness in the matter. Before you begin, you can repeat your opinion about the bullet that you pointed out to the chief constable last night, in order that the point may be included in your statement. After that, you can tell us the story of your search in the wood. When Frank had finished, Colonel Chambers said, this is a very awkward thing about your brother's disappearance. Well, giving him the fullest credit for his courage in following a desperate man armed with a rifle, it was certainly a rash undertaking, and I fear he may have come to harm. I don't suppose when we started that it was so much the idea of capturing the man Julian had in his mind as of seeing who he was. Had my brother come back with only the statement that some man unknown to him had shot Mr. Faulkner, his story might not have been credited. Certainly in the teeth of Mr. Faulkner's depositions, it would not have been believed when there was no evidence to support it. 
Still, I don't suppose it had ever entered Julian's mind that any suspicion could possibly fall upon him. I am greatly afraid that he has been killed or badly hurt. If not, I can see but one possible way of accounting for his absence. Mr. Faulkner was extremely active in the pursuit of smugglers, and had, we know, received many threatening letters. If the man was a smuggler, as seems to me likely, he may have gone to some place where he had comrades waiting him, and Julian, pursuing him, may have been seized and made prisoner. You see, sir, he knew many of them, and after the affair the other day was probably regarded as a friend, and they may hold him in their keeping only until the man who fired the shot can get safely out of reach. I hope that this may prove so indeed, the magistrate said. It is at any rate possible, and now we will detain you no longer, for Mr. Henderson tells me that you are going to accompany them in their search among the hills. I see that it is just beginning to snow, which will, I fear, add to your difficulties. For some days an active search was maintained, but no trace was discovered of Julian Wyatt, or of the man whom he had followed. From inquiries that had been instituted in the town, the chief constable had learned that the man Markham, who had a few weeks before returned after serving out his sentence for poaching in Mr. Faulkner's preserves, had disappeared from his lodging on the day of the murder and had not returned. As he was known to have uttered many threats against the magistrate, a warrant was issued for his arrest on the day after the coroner's jury, having heard the whole of the evidence, brought in a verdict that Mr. Faulkner had been willfully murdered by a person or persons unknown. End of chapter 5